welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And I'm going to begin today just by reading our passage, starting off uh, verses 23 to 29. As I do, I simply want to propose beforehand, so our, so our minds are kind of geared towards this, that here Solomon is most likely announcing a test of what follows verse 23. When he speaks of this test, it is what follows now uh, in the passage, not what preceded it. And so in verse 23, in that case, it introduces a, a, a new, fresh train of thought as we begin to read. Solomon declares, I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate, and to seek wisdom and an explanation, and to know the evil of folly and the foolish, foolishness of madness. And I discovered, the following is what Solomon discovered, more bitter than death is the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. One who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured by her. Behold, I have discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation, which I am still seeking but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among all these. Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright but they have sought out many devices. Yikes. Yikes. Boy, you know, I never served in the military, but I have to imagine that, that as troops approach an enemy minefield, that's about right now how I feel is how they must feel when they approach that. Approaching something dangerous. This, this text is littered with landmines. And so it is with verse-by-verse Bible exposition. You don't get to omit the hard passages. You don't get to skip uh, the difficult texts. So I need to decide whether I'm just going to tiptoe around and you know, not disturb any of these landmines. Or I can do like our military and bring in a minesweeper. Just set them all off. What do you think I'm going to do, Jeff Rogan? Let's set them off. Let's set them off, yeah. Well, at least a couple of them. I was going to title this message, Beware of Women. Yeah, yeah. But upon further study, uh, I recognize that the passage doesn't speak all that highly about men either. The one man that Solomon found among a thousand suggests that only one-tenth of one percent are not foolish and mad. 
The passage isn't exactly fawning over the character of men either. Uh, He actually implies we need to beware of everyone on the topic that he's talking about. Beware of everybody. And uh, apparently among his harem, Solomon had a huge harem. It consisted of a thousand women. He, He found not even one who wasn't crazy. Anybody believe that? But he only found one out of a thousand men. Scripture says in 1 Kings 11, verse 3, that Solomon's just beautiful and exotic harem from around the world, it drove him to idolatry. We are told there that Solomon had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon was old, think about that, for when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away after other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to uh, the Lord Yahweh, his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not follow the Lord fully as, his, as David, his father, had done. So we know that the women surrounding Solomon turned his, his heart away from following the Lord Yahweh fully. And how do you suppose they did that? Well, our passage suggests that they, they used snares and, and nets and, and chains, apparently. Yeah, no, that, that's all symbolic of something much more seductive that was used uh, against Solomon. And and he does, Solomon does just make repeated references uh, of this snare of a seductress in the book of Proverbs. Repeatedly goes there uh, um, commenting on the woman who acts as an adulteress, seduces men into into her web. But Solomon doesn't seem to devote this passage only to adulteresses, but describes uh, himself an attempt to comprehend the behavior of virtually all men and women. He's trying to figure this out. The beautiful women in his life seduced him into idolatry. He followed after idols. And it appears that, uh, well, as he examines the male gender, looks at them, uh, all except one man that he ever knew, failed as well. Yeah, I realize that isn't a direct reference to Christ. I still find it fascinating that Solomon was only aware of one man who was not evil and sane or a fool for women. Therefore, I'll probably exploit his reference to this one man a little later in the passage. Most of my study resources, they play this passage pretty safe. They play it pretty safe. Seems that nobody publishing a commentary wants to, to risk being accused today as a misogynist. My resources generally conclude, you know, well, women are bad, men are bad. Broadly, they avoid the obvious sensual undertones that are present, uh, warning bells that are being set off in this passage in verse 26. And really, nothing I read addressed the near universal susceptibility of of virtually all men 
to the sensual advances of virtually all women. Uh, only, uh, only a few things I found. This is one comment from uh, my old pastor, Tom Nelson, in his, in his short commentary on Ecclesiastes. As we get into this, he says, quote, Believe me, I understand that sex is fun, but I also know that outside of marriage, sex is playing with fire. It will burn your house down and consume you. Don't buy into some short-term pleasure that will leave you in a lifetime of pain. Isn't that a good word? A short term, a few minutes of pleasure that will ruin your entire life. So buyer beware. Buyer beware. I'm kind of, you know, stepping out on my own here today. Yeah, we're going to, I think you're going to find the argument compelling that the greatest peril that that is described in this passage is a man's attraction to the female gender. A man's attraction, his weakness for the female gender. Women are trouble. Yeah. Women are trouble. (laughs) Now, before I exploit that, within numerous other locations in Scripture, Solomon exalts the virtuous woman who becomes man's lifetime companion. Elevates her. Uh, He'll do that uh, later in this same book in chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. He does it in Proverbs. Of course, there's the Proverbs 31 woman, the excellent woman. Uh, She will make a man wobbly at the knees. She she really will. A woman of dignity, of moral excellence. Uh, She can bring a man to to his knees. But so can the seductress. She will as well. And God's divine blueprint for marriage is that a man will leave his father and his mother and he will cleave to one lifetime companion. Men are to have eyes. Men, listen to this. Men are to have eyes for one. Only one. But the seductresses They are everywhere. They are everywhere. You don't believe me? Have you logged on to the internet lately? Wow. Wow. Women everywhere constantly and continuously exploiting their sexuality and their sensuality. You don't have to stand on the street corner anymore or or wait in the bars to to, to spring their nets. They post instead explicit images of themselves on Facebook and everywhere else. Everywhere you go today, uh, you are finding this. The sensual allure of a woman, it it is exploited uh, by Hollywood and through TV It dominates virtually all sources of advertising that we consume. Sexuality is in the bars and it is at the beach. It's on halftime entertainment, folks. Halftime entertainment uh, that our families watch. It is displayed in the inappropriate ways that women dress. It's displayed in the ways that they shake. And it is not godly. It is not godly. Uh, they offer an enticement. The, the, the seductress, 
She offers an enticement, Solomon says, is more bitter than death. It will ruin men's lives, it will ruin their marriages, their careers, everything goes up in smoke. And I cannot even attempt, I cannot even attempt to speculate how many Christian men, Christian men are rendered impotent for the kingdom of God because their daily conduct is dictated by pornography and pop-up ads and, and printed media. It's everywhere. And it's not only young men. Even after growing old, our passage uh, earlier said that Solomon found himself taken captive to idolatry by young, beautiful women. Captivated by it. Their, their snares, their, their nets, their chains. It's a bondage. It, it is a bondage. And, and you don't have to, to look like Brad Pitt. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be an attractive male to be seduced by the allure of a beautiful woman. Well, you could be the most out of shape, homely looking guy around. You really could. Homeliest looking fellow on the block, and you could still be led astray by that temptress. Still led astray by her through an internet cable. Led straight to the slaughter, as Solomon wrote in Proverbs 7, verse 21. With her many persuasions, she entices him. Think internet now. Whatever other media is out there. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. Until an arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare. So he does not know that it will cost him his life. Man, it'll cost the life and the livelihood. Well, I imagine there's a few in our midst right now that just say, boy, I wish he would just close in prayer. Huh? Men and women? I believe verse 23 introduces a, a test. It's a test where Solomon is trying in all his wisdom to discern and understand this phenomenon of a woman's seductive power over men. It's, it's a mysterious enigma. All women that he knew exploited it to some level. And all the men that he knew except one capitulated in some way or another to it. Boy, if you are a woman and, and you have never in your life acted seductively, oh, please raise your hand. If you are an adult male sitting here today and you can insist that, that you are entirely and completely immune to the radiance and charm of a beautiful woman, please raise your hand. Well, you, you are an honest congregation. You really are. We're the most honest congregation in town. Folks, folks victory over this sin, victory over sin does... It doesn't come, it doesn't arrive through pretending it's not a problem and, and, just, and just hoping that it will go away. Uh, it's more prevalent today than ever. We can't pretend it's not a problem in the church. And, and you know this book, Ecclesiastes, 
it really couldn't be Solomonic in origin, meaning we couldn't really believe that Solomon is the writer if he didn't cross this bridge at some point, right? The problem with the seduction of women. And this is a tough passage. It really is. But I believe the wisest man to ever live is here describing his quest to understand that infinite reach of a woman's seduction. It is infinite. It goes everywhere. So he says in verse 23, I tested all this with wisdom, and I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. What has been, it implies that what has always been, is remote and exceedingly mysterious. Who can discover it? I directed my mind to know, to investigate and to seek wisdom and an explanation and to know the evil of folly and the foolishness of madness. Boy, this quest, he says, is one of the deepest, mysterious enigmas that any man can attempt to try to uh, understand and to explain to others. And in verse 24, it describes this as just remote and exceedingly mysterious. Literally, the words mean distant and deep. Distant and deep. The Hebrew word actually is even repeated. Solomon says, the answer is so far from me, it is distant and deep, deep. He said, this is a tough one to figure out. An answer uh, is not attainable, an explanation is not attainable under the sun. How this can again and again, after generation over thousands of years, destroy families, destroy marriages, Destroy people. Uh, So Solomon confesses beforehand in verses 23 to 25, he cannot explain the perversion of this folly, the foolishness, and the madness that's going to follow in verse 26. He, he, He can't fathom it. Why do people forfeit their lives for a few minutes of seduction? Why do they do that? Why do fathers miss their sons' ball games because they're busy on the internet? Why do essential duties for our families remain incomplete? Why do mothers model provocative conduct? And then why do their daughters imitate it by placing images on the internet to entice men that they cannot see and have never even met? Can you fathom that? Who can fathom it? Who can understand? Hmm. And why do otherwise intelligent husbands and fathers keep falling for it? Why? Why do we keep falling for it? Solomon says the answer is too deep. He cannot plumb those depths. As the prophet Jeremiah lamented, the heart is deceitful above all else. Oh, who can understand it? Who can figure it out? Who can, who can fathom the depths, Jeremiah says? Yet Solomon's experiment, uh, experiment, it still has not entirely failed. Fortunately for us, he, he has discovered three things. Three things he has discovered through this quest for our understanding. It's going to help us out. They're seen in verses 26, 27, and 29. And number one begins 
uh, with this warning, with this warning, I discovered more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are chains. The woman who exploits her sensuality to captivate men's imaginations and men's attention is more bitter than death. The seductress is on YouTube. She even has her own fishing channel where she records herself fishing while scantily clad. We'll have a confession time later. She's on the pages of Victoria's Secret. We've all seen it. Paul's seen it. We've all, all have passed by this. I mean, I, I watched a halftime show by accident, just, just the opening of it, uh, of a game here recently that was recorded from before COVID, and, and there it is, a, an actress that, that is just renowned and, and acting like a child, acting like a complete child, barely dressed and shaking on, uh, on in front of a stadium filled with families. What is wrong with us, folks? Boy, the heart is sick. She's jogging down your sidewalk, dressed in a way that leaves nothing to the imaginations of passers-by. She's everywhere. And why? Why? There's an easily reached distinction, ladies, between attractiveness and seductiveness. Easily, easy distinguish between, uh, easy to distinguish between attractive and seductive, between dress and pretty which is completely appropriate, and dressing provocative. It's a pretty easy line to distinguish. And men become uh, captivated by these snares, the nets, the chains. Boy, if, if he really wanted to learn about fishing, if he really wanted to, he'd watch Good Fishing with Babe Winkleman. Yeah. By the way, if you remember Babe and his television channel, man's still alive, by the way, I, I just just heard that he, or just learned that he has just filed for bankruptcy. Babe Winkleman. I imagine it's partly because husbands and fathers aren't watching uh, him any longer, but alternative programming that really has nothing to do with fishing. Why do men do it? Why do we do it? The wisest sage who ever lived says, apart from Christ, he goes, I can't figure this out. It's elusive. Solomon never reaches a threshold of understanding about why men waste their lives away with this. In verse 24, he says, What has been is remote and exceedingly mysterious. I think we can reword that and paraphrase that. Uh, What has always been since the beginning of the garden in the Garden of Eden? Sense has always been, it's remote and exceedingly mysterious. Consider what happened when Adam listened to, well, the most beautiful woman that's ever lived. When he, when he listened to Eve, in 1 Timothy 2.14, that was in our scripture reading earlier, Adam was not deceived. It was Eve who was deceived, yet he still took the fruit and he still ate 
men, left alone to our own resources and our own nature, we can't resist. We won't resist. The seductress, she takes full control when you are alone. She takes control uh, when you are alone, whether it is at the office or whether it is home on the computer, the seductress takes control. And therefore, verse 26 states, The one who is pleasing to God will escape from her, but the sinner will be captured. You remember the, you remember the scene of that movie, Fireproof, with Kirk Cameron? And the one where uh, he is trying to repair his marriage and he's still caught up in, in the, uh, in, into the, the internet seduction. And he, and he takes his computer outside you remember what he whacks it with? Whacks it with a baseball bat, and the neighbors are over there looking at him. They thought he was crazy. It'd be good for us men to go back and watch that movie again. It really would, besides that, Kirk Cameron is dreamy. That always has been. Whether it is a phone or a tablet, a relationship, or a computer, whatever it is, man, that is causing you to fail, get it out of your life. We need to get it out of our lives. And to girls and women you know, who are posting photos of themselves, revealing and seductive or dressing provocatively at the gym or any other place, Stop it. Stop it. There is an appropriate attire for every occasion, from church uh, to the tennis courts to the beach, and there is an attire that is not appropriate for any occasion. You know the difference. You know the difference. The second thing that Solomon discovered during his test is seen in verse 27. This is a really tough verse to understand and comprehend. I'm going to give it my best shot. He says, Behold, I've discovered this, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find an explanation. So he says with his investigation complete, he's added up all this mystery and and computed the results to, to, to try to understand the madness and the folly that leads to the seductress. He's computing the results now, adding one thing to another for an explanation. But he continues at the end of verse 27, saying, An explanation? I'm still seeking, but have not found. I have found one man among a thousand, but I have not found a woman among these. You know, regardless of what this verse means, he is affirming that men and women are not righteous. And we are not entirely naive, and we are not faultless in this, neither men nor women. For just a few verses earlier in verse 20, he affirmed, There is not a righteous man on earth who continually does good and who never sins. In Romans chapter 3, there is none righteous, there is not even one. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
We know none of us have mastered this. No man nor woman alive amongst us. We know also that Solomon agrees that all have sinned and that none, neither man nor woman, is righteous or pleasing to God when it comes to sensuality. We are not entirely righteous. We do not behave correctly. But like Solomon claims in verse 28, I have found one man. I have found one man who has not sinned. And his name is Christ. There is one. There is hope. We will win. I'm not going to suggest that Solomon is speaking directly about Christ. That would be distorting his intent. Uh, But I think he rather suggests that as far as he knows, only about one in a thousand men, only about one in a thousand can escape uh, the grasp of the temptress. In fact, I think that maybe he is even looking back at Joseph and, and that one guy who was able to escape the clutches of Potiphar's wife. So I know of one, he might say. But the one in the thousand indicates that such a man, he's statistically non-existent. And he personally has knowledge of no women. He, he doesn't even know one woman who hasn't at least batted her eyes for a little extra attention. None of us are innocent. And this may not be a perfect interpretation, but at least it's an interpretation. Men are righteous, unrighteous and women are unrighteous. We're all unrighteous. And I'm pretty confident this passage is making reference to sexual decency. None of us have been good. No, not even one. One further evidence of this uh, sexual connotation exists in verse 29. He says, Behold, I have found only this, that God made men upright, but they have sought out many devices. Actually, it should say that God made man. God made man upright, and the man in the Hebrew is the singular noun, singular noun, Adam. Literally, this means that God created Adam upright. It refers to Adam's state of innocence before the fall when when everything was good. But in verse 29, it refers to the they. That refers to all mankind, both men and women. And boy, they have sought out many devices, many, many schemes, your translation might say, or many instruments might be in your Bible. Well, what kind of schemes do you think these are in the context I think it implies female schemes, female schemes and devices. John MacArthur says the word in this context alludes to our our evil imaginations. Reminds you of the verse where Jesus says, "If, if any man has even looked upon a woman with lust, he's committed adultery in his heart. They're evil imaginations. And the word schemes by the way, or devices. I find this interesting. Uh, No commentary that that I found exploited it. So again, you know, this is just an observation. Uh, But it is typically a masculine noun. The devices normally uses a masculine noun. 
But in this verse, it's presented as a feminine noun. Yeah. We've sought out many female schemes. Both sides, men and women, many devices. Folks, beware of women. Beware of men, too. Ah, just beware of everybody. Neither men nor women are upright. So don't receive this passage as some claim as a misogynist attack uh, in the Bible against women. That's not what it is. When it comes to perversion, to sin, what gender is more often portrayed as corrupt in the Bible? Men. Men. Without question, there are many more references in the Bible to the, to the sinful exploits of men. But do women get a free pass? Really? Well, I saw some faces there from women. No, no. They're equally as sinful and corrupt as men. Uh, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Women aren't granted, and this is what, what I want to exploit now at the end, women are not granted in the Bible a free pass. Not in any way. Uh, it was Eve who first took the fruit. But sin entered the world when Adam, who was with her, according to Genesis 3, he was there, he didn't protect her and he did not prevent her. Adam was present and he permitted Eve to serve as the female device for sin. The female device of the fall. And I said this on Wednesday evening a few weeks ago. Uh, but the, the man Adam here is not leading. He was not leading. Uh, he was standing by and allowing his wife to become the device for sin. That, that was Adam's was more likely the first sin when he allowed her to disobey and he didn't step in because she was deceived. He was not. Our scripture reading affirms that. He allowed her to be deceived, I think, so they could partake, partake together in the eating of the fruit. Think about that. Therefore, Romans 5 verse 12 says, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, they ate of the fruit, and on the day that you eat of it, you will die. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. Adam is held responsible by Scripture. A couple, couple closing notations. You look weary. A couple closing notations about our passage. Um, is the female gender any less sick and morally depraved than the male gender? Please answer no. Not according to, to verse 28 and, and to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Do females somehow possess a superior moral compass to men? Obviously not. Obviously not. The woman was deceived and she possesses the exact same sin nature as men. This is vitally important for the church today. Vitally important. Because Christians are being bombarded. We are bombarded with misinformation. Misinformation that wrongly suggests 
that women are morally superior to men, possess better judgment than men, and therefore should be vested with all leadership. And men should not be vested with uh, leadership. And that charge is, is at least partially attributed to men having more testosterone. If you haven't heard this, you're living in a closet. And that false assertion claims that women are, are more naturally peaceful. More peaceful than men. And therefore, they should be leading all facets of society, including Christ's church. And supposedly, if we just have all women leading everywhere, we can finally achieve world peace. Has anybody ever worked in an office that's comprised entirely of women? My wife has. World peace? <laughs> no, no. Oh, man. Yeah. Men do have much more testosterone. <laughs> it enables us to generally, not in every circumstances, but generally be more aggressive to correct error, to act decisively, to lead and to protect our families and the church. God created men in this way. And by God's design, women have less testosterone and more estrogen. Well, we're thankful for that. Men are very thankful for that. And that equips her to be more suitable to nurturing children. God created her that way as well. And after he created them, he looked and he said, that's all good. That is all good. What role does God assign for each in Scripture? One of the hymns we were, or one of the songs we were singing earlier says, His word is true. Who is behold our God? Who is going to test the word? Seems today everybody's testing the word. What roles does God assign for each in Scripture? Men are commissioned to, commissioned to lead and protect the church and the family. Women are commanded by God to embrace their wonderful role of nurturing children, especially small children, to care for the home, to do a whole lot of other great things as well in Proverbs 31. For this reason, she's not to teach or exercise spiritual authority over the man. Women, as, as we see in this passage, they are clearly not morally or spiritually superior to men. If you need evidence of that, simply observe a majority of women in Congress who defend laws allowing them to kill their own babies. Really? The female gender is more spiritual than men. No, no. That's a result of feminism. This is all an attack from feminism that wants to exploit and employ seduction for their own purposes without the consequences of seduction, which is the child. That's the work of feminism right now. They want to be able to use the seductive nature in this passage in order to get their way. But they want the problem of the child to go away. Women are not more uh, 
uh, not superior leaders to men. And for that reason, I don't understand why any genuine Christian would reject God's design for male leadership or God's design for female motherhood. 1 Timothy 2 affirms that both men and women give evidence that they are saved through embracing the scriptural role that God has designed for each gender. There's two genders, male and female. God made them. He created them. For men, this means that you must get your mind and your imaginations out of out of places that it has been. Get it out of places it should not be. Your life, uh, your love for your wife and for your family is to mimic Christ's love for his church. Get it out of the way. Get it out of the way. I doubt anyone here is perfectly innocent in all this. When it comes to the ills of our society, female leadership is not the answer. Christ is the answer. Women are part of the problem. And men are part of the problem. We all have the same nature and we are all born equally bad. Folks, beware of everybody. Like Solomon, I only know of one man who is perfectly pure, who is sinless, upright, and just. Uh, It's God's Son, Jesus Christ. And sinful perversions that we experience in this world can only be resolved by placing our faith in Him.